This is Audible. The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton Read by Mark Meadows Note to the listener The stellar and planetary positions in this book have been determined astronomically. This is to say that we acknowledge the celestial phenomenon known as precession, by which motion the vernal equinox, the astrological equivalent of the Greenwich meridian, has come to shift. The vernal equinox, autumnal in southern latitudes, formerly occurred while the sun was in the constellation of Aries, the first sign. It now occurs while the sun is in Pisces, the twelfth. Consequently, and as listeners to this book will note, each zodiacal sign occurs approximately one month later than popular information would have it. We mean no disrespect to popular information by this correction. We do observe, however, that the above error is held in defiance of the material fact of our nineteenth-century firmament, and we dare to conjecture further that such a conviction might be called Piscean in its quality, emblematic indeed of persons born during the age of Pisces, an age of mirrors, tenacity, instinct, twinship, and hidden things. We are contented by this notion— it further affirms our faith in the vast and knowing influence of the infinite sky. Character Chart Stella Terao Taufare, a greenstone hunter Related house, the Wells Cottage, Arahura Valley Charlie Frost, a banker Related house, the Reserve Bank, Revel Street Benjamin Lerventhal, a newspaperman Related House, The West Coast Times Office, Weld Street. Edgar Clinch, an hotelier. Related House, The Gridiron Hotel, Revel Street. Dick Mannering, a goldfields magnate. Related House, The Aurora Gold Mine, Caniere. Qui Long, a goldsmith. Related House, Chinatown Forge, Caniere. Harold Nielsen, a commission merchant. Related House, Nielsen and Company, Gibson Key. Joseph Pritchard, a chemist. Related House, The Opium Den, Caniere. Thomas Balfour, a shipping agent. Related House, Godspeed, a bark, registered Port Chalmers. Aubert Gascoigne, a justice's clerk. Related House, Hokitika Courthouse, Magistrates Court. Suk Yong Sheng, a hatter. Related house, the Wayfarer's Fortune, Revel Street. Cowell Devlin, a chaplain. Related house, Hokitika Jail, Sea View. Planetary. Walter Moody. Related influence, Reason. Lydia Wells Carver, nay Greenway. Related influence, Desire. Francis Carver. Related Influence, Force Alistair Lauderback Related Influence, Command George Shepard Related Influence, Restriction Anna Wetherill Related Influence, Outermost, Formerly Innermost Emery Staines Related Influence, Innermost, Formerly Outermost Terra Firma Crosby Wells Deceased. Part 1. A Sphere Within a Sphere. The 27th of January, 1866. 
42 degrees 43 minutes south, 170 degrees 58 minutes east. Mercury in Sagittarius, in which a stranger arrives in Hokitika. A secret council is disturbed. Walter Moody conceals his most recent memory, and Thomas Balfour begins to tell a story. The twelve men congregated in the smoking room of the Crown Hotel gave the impression of a party accidentally met. From the variety of their comportment and dress, frock coats, tailcoats, Norfolk jackets with buttons of horn, yellow moleskin, cambric and twill, they might have been twelve strangers on a railway car, each bound for a separate quarter of a city that possessed fog and tides enough to divide them. Indeed, the studied isolation of each man as he pored over his paper, or leant forward to tap his ashes into the grate, or placed the splay of his hand upon the bays to take his shot at billiards, conspired to form the very type of bodily silence that occurs late in the evening on a public railway. Deadened here not by the slur and clunk of the coaches, but by the fat clatter of the rain. Such was the perception of Mr. Walter Moody, from where he stood in the doorway with his hand upon the frame. He was innocent of having disturbed any kind of private conference, for the speakers had ceased when they heard his tread in the passage. By the time he opened the door, each of the twelve men had resumed his occupation, rather haphazardly on the part of the billiard players, for they had forgotten their places, with such a careful show of absorption that no one even glanced up when he stepped into the room. The strictness and uniformity with which the men ignored him might have aroused Mr. Moody's interest had he been himself in body and temperament. As it was, he was queasy and disturbed. He had known the voyage to West Canterbury would be fatal at worst an endless rolling trough of white water and spume that ended on the shattered graveyard of the Hokitika Bar. But he had not been prepared for the particular horrors of the journey, of which he was still incapable of speaking even to himself. Moody was by nature impatient of any deficiencies in his own person. Fear and illness both turned him inward, and it was for this reason that he very uncharacteristically failed to assess the tenor of the room he had just entered. Moody's natural expression was one of readiness and attention. His grey eyes were large and unblinking, and his supple, boyish mouth was usually poised in an expression of polite concern. His hair inclined to a tight curl. It had fallen in ringlets to his shoulders in his youth, but now he wore it close against his skull, parted on the side and combed flat with a sweet-smelling pomade that darkened its golden hue to an oily brown. His brow and cheeks were square, his nose straight, and his complexion smooth. He was not quite eight and twenty, still swift and exact in his motions, and possessed of the kind of roguish, unsullied vigour that conveys neither gullibility nor guile. He presented himself in the manner of a discreet and quick-minded butler, and as a consequence was often drawn into the confidence of the least voluble of men— or invited to broker relations between people he had only lately met. He had, in short, an appearance that betrayed very little about his own character, and an appearance that others were immediately inclined to trust. Moody was not unaware of the advantage his inscrutable grace afforded him. Like most excessively beautiful persons, he had studied his own reflection minutely, 
and, in a way, knew himself from the outside best.